Well, this is your first time to Second Chance. My name is Perry. I'm the pastor, and I often love to start out with a confession because it just makes everybody feel more at ease. And it's a confession about not how good I am. It's a confession about how jacked up I am. So everybody kind of feels a part of the family because we're just one big dysfunctional family here at Second Chance. Amen? Okay, yeah, good. So, so here's my confession. I've never played a friendly game of anything, ever, ever. There's, there's, there's one purpose, one purpose in playing a game, and it is to, well, okay, yeah, some of you said it. Some of you said it because you know why? You're the winners in the room. You win. Other people are like, can we just have fun and play? No. If I win, it's fun, but if I don't, if I don't win, it's not fun. Like, if we play, if we play basketball, I want to destroy you destroy you. Well, Perry, what if you're playing with my four-year-old son? I will put his stuff in the next state if he tries to go up on me. I told junk to my daughter when she was two and we played Candyland. I'll be like, how you, how you like that role? How you like that role? How you like that? I played backyard football about five years ago, um, and I thought I was 16, um, and, and my body reminded me the next day that I wasn't, but while I was on the field, I was playing, like, I play to win. If you say, I want to play a friendly game of, it's either A, you always lose, or B, you're a Carolina fan. One or the other, it, it just kind of matches. So you would think that the game Uno would be incredibly safe from controversy, but you're wrong. Because even in the game of Uno, the goal is to win. Yeah, and some of you go, it's luck, not it's strategy. It's strategy. So, so for those of you that know how to play Uno, how many have played Uno? You've actually played the game. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know this game, right? So you're playing the game, and you're laying down cards, you're laying down cards, you're laying down cards, and when you lay your next to the last card down, you're supposed to say Uno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's simple. And there's always one person at the table that if you don't say it, they're all over you, and you got to pick up four cards. By the way, I'm that person. I am the, I am the Uno police. I am watching so I'm playing the game. This is a true story, actually. I was playing it with some friends who are now former friends. A lot of it has to do with this. Um, but I was right. That's what you need to know. And, and I got down to my next to last card, and I said, I was just being funny, and I went, you know. And the person next to me said, you got to pick up four cards. I was like, I, I mean, I, I said it. I said, you know. And they said, well, I know you said you know, but you're supposed to say uno. And I said, well, how do you know? How do you know about uno? Like, how do you know? Like, like were you there when they, maybe they meant you know. Like, you know I got one card left, how you like that? But then somebody just changed it to, to uno. And they said, well, the rule book says you got to say uno. And that, that's when I, I don't know about you, but when I feel like I'm trying to make a point, I will say something over and over and over again, and I won't let up. And I'm like, does the rule book have a pronunciation guide? Does the rule book have a pronunciation guide? Does the rule book have a pronunciation guide? Fake, and so, so at the end of the day, we're not friends anymore, but I was right. And, and, and since that day, when I play uno, if you and I play uno, when I lay down my next to last card, I always say, you know. You know. You know. And if you try to bust me on it, we'll break out the rule books. Because you know what? I did. There's not a pronunciation guide there. Now, they might have put one in. But, but when I was playing it, there weren't. Now, when I started thinking about this message and started working on it several weeks ago, I've got a deck of Uno cards, Uno cards, 
in my, in my living room, and I was walking around, and I was just kind of looking at them, and I was like, you know, you know, you know, because there's some things like you know, and there's some things you don't know. Like, you know there's an election coming up. You don't know who's going to win. I'm already tired of it. I wish they'd just go Hunger Games style, put them all in a ring, and whoever walks out, that's our leader right there. Like, that's, the, I mean, I'm ready to just kind of let, boy, dear God, what would happen? I don't even know. But there's some things you do know, and there's some things you don't know. And, and I wanted to just use a common everyday reference of the game Uno to kind of launch, launch us into the question for the day. And somebody asked me this question several years ago. It stuck with me. And it's a question I hope that I hang on to for the rest of my life. And the question is this. What would you be willing to do if you absolutely knew God was with you? What would you be willing to do if you absolutely knew God was with you? Because I don't know about you. I don't have a hard time believing that God is with other people. But sometimes I have a hard time believing that he's with me. Because I know me. I know me. I can run some people off. I can run God off. I mean, that's the way I feel. But what would you be willing to do? Would you take your next step? Confess a sin? Ask for help? Because at the end of the day, at the end of this message, my heart and my prayer for everybody here and everybody watching online is that you will know that God is with you and is greater than anything that you're going through. We're talking about the story of Joseph, and we started last week. If you missed last week, we're going to do a really quick review. You can go back on podcast, YouTube, um, Facebook. You can catch up on the message. They're on all the channels. But, but we, set, we started out with this verse last week, the story about Joseph in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 41, verse 41 says this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And we said this was like the golden buzzer moment on Egypt's Got Talent. I mean, there was no way in a million years that Joseph would have ever imagined that he would be at this place. I mean, when the story started, he wasn't even in Egypt. He wasn't even close. Now, he's close by today's travel standards, but travel standards thousands of years ago, you couldn't hop on a plane and fly to Egypt. I mean, Joseph getting put in charge of the entire land of Egypt was immeasurably more than he could have ever asked for or imagined. He, he had no, if somebody would approach him when he was 17, by the way, that's when we meet him in the story. He's 17 years old. If somebody would have approached him at 17 and said, Joseph, dream big. What's the biggest dream that you could have for your life? He wouldn't have came up with this. That's why I, I always say we need to give up our dreams and ask God what his dreams are because Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says his thoughts are greater than our thoughts and his ways are greater than our ways. And so at the end of the day, I don't want my dreams for my life. I want God's dreams for my life because God dreams bigger and he dreams better. I didn't even throw that in the 8.30 or 10. That's 11.30. Y'all got bonus material right there. All right, here we go. So, so how, does, how does he get here? How does this happen? Well, we said last week, remember Joseph started out. He, um, he told his brothers, I had a dream, all you fools bow down to me, which that's probably not the way he wanted to put it across, but that's the way it came across. So his brothers hated him. His dad gave him a coat, and then he goes to see his brothers, remember, and they, they beat him up. They took a coat. They took the coat, put him in a pit. We said pit happens, and he's down there, and he's naked and afraid, and he felt abandoned because he was 
abandoned, but all of a sudden the brothers decide not to kill him. What they decide to do with him? Sell him, which nobody in here wants to be sold. Nobody. Can you imagine the humiliation involved? I mean, that had to be, like, he's probably standing there going, this is the worst day of my life. And we can kind of step in and say, Joseph, I got some good news. This is not the worst day of your life. It's going to get worse. Watch what happens. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt. Wait a minute. He got put in charge over the entire land of Egypt. But how did he get to Egypt? Because he would have never gotten to Egypt on his own. He would have never gotten to Egypt by himself. The Midianite traders, out of all the places in the world they could have been going, they wound up going to Egypt. He goes to Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Now, here's what's amazing. We've already read Genesis 41, 41. We know how the story ends, where Joseph gets put in charge over the land of Egypt. Like, we know that's coming. We know that's on the way. Joseph hadn't read Genesis 41, 41 at this point. He had no idea this was coming. Joseph got taken out of the pit, and he got put into Potiphar's house. Now, what we tend to think is um, this is a bad thing. This is a horrible situation. And we tend to look at it as punishment. But this was not punishment. This was actually preparation for Joseph to step into the position that God ultimately was leading him to. Because let me ask you a question. What did Joseph know? Because if he was going to be second in charge of the land of Egypt, one of the things he was going to have to know would, would be to how to control military strategy. He would need to know military strategy, military tactics, military language, at 17, coming into the land of Egypt, did he know any of these things, yes or no? No. He had absolutely no knowledge of anything to do with the military. Then my question would be, where would be the best place to put Joseph to prepare him to one day step into the position God had for him? Oh, I don't know. Could it be the captain of the palace guard's house? Because when he was hanging out with Potiphar, do you think he learned some military language? Yes or no? You think he learned some military tactics? You think he learned some military strategy? See, at 17, when he came into the land of Egypt, if he would have stepped into his position at 17, it wouldn't have been a blessing. It would have been a crushing. God had to prepare him. See, we all want to get to Genesis 41, 41, Sometimes we just don't like the route that God wants to take us along. Do you want immeasurably more for your life? Yes! Then you're going to have to go to Potiphar's house. Uh. Have you ever driven with somebody or ridden with somebody, and, and you're going from point A to point B, and you have a way that you like to go from point A to point B, and they go a different way? Does that bother you? Uh, number one, that's why I don't ride with anybody. We'll take separate cars because I, I, I know the best route. 
And, but, but, like, if I happen to be with you, I'll be like, you know, the other way's quicker. Other way's quicker. You could, you know, turn left right here. Turn left. You know what? Stop. Just pull. You know what? Get out of the car. I know it's your car. Just get out. I mean, that, that's, that's how I am. I don't like the way you're going. Sometimes we, we all want to get to that Genesis 41, 41 place, but are we willing to go the way that God wants us to go? Because at the end of the day, Joseph, you could have looked at Joseph and said, Joseph, I feel sorry for you that you're in this position. But if Joseph was looking back on what he went through, he would have just said, oh, I was just getting ready. I wasn't ready to step into the place that God had for me. God had to take me to Potiphar's house in order. That's why this phrase right here, this phrase right here, I'm getting ready, needs to be the mentality that many of us have. Now, there's... If you've ever gone out with a woman and she said, give me a few minutes because I'm getting ready, that, that don't mean anything. That's an indefinite period of time. You could plant and harvest a garden. Am I right? With men, this is like five minutes max. Men walk into a room. <laughs> Yeah, and it, even if you fail the smell test, you're ready. You just change shirts. But, but that phrase right there, I'm getting ready, that, that's an indefinite period of time when it comes to dating. You know what? It's an indefinite period of time sometimes when it comes to God too. That's why we've got to get the mentality, I'm not where I need to be right now. That must, be, that must mean that God's getting me ready. Now, we skip Genesis 38 because Genesis 38 is not about Joseph. It's about Judah and Tamar, and that's, a, that's just a messed up story. I mean, it's, there's some stuff going on in that. I mean, it is not in any children's Bible. We will talk about Judah and Tamar when we have NC-17 Sunday at Second Chance, which that's every Sunday. Let's just admit it. All right, so here we go. Genesis 39, verse 1 through 2. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, this is the second time the author tells us this. So he's wanting us to understand. He's wanting us to get this. An Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Once again, the best possible place for Joseph to learn about the military. God put him in school. And here's what happened. This is crazy. The Lord was with Joseph. Whoa, 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 whoa. Joseph's technical occupation, if, if they gave Joseph like a form to fill out and it said job or current job, what would Joseph, what would, what would he have written down in his current job status? He would have had to write down slave. Slave. Now, I'm sure on Joseph's vision board, if he had one of those, at no point, did he ever write down the word slave? So here's the question. If the Lord is with him, why is he a slave? And I'm saying this because of the way that we typically think, especially here in the good old southeast, right? That good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And if bad things are happening to you, then you probably got some secret sin going on in your life or some sin you did 20 years ago or some sins your father did or some sins your grandfather did. We don't think bad things can happen to good people. But I, the Bible clearly says that Joseph was in slavery 
and the Lord was with him. And I say that to encourage somebody. I don't know what storm you're in the middle of. I don't know if you're in the middle of an addiction. I don't know if you're in the middle of anxiety. I don't know if you're in the middle of a bad relationship situation. I don't know what situation you're in, but I do know this. If the Lord was with Joseph in the situation of slavery, he is with you in your situation today, no matter how dark that situation seems to be. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery, and so he succeeded in everything he did. I mean, if you're going to be good, be good at something, right? He, he served in the home of the Egyptian Potiphar. Potiphar noticed this, and, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So he, he got closer to Potiphar. He kept getting promoted within Potiphar's house. But he had a problem. Potiphar had a wife who was thirsty. <laughs> How many know what thirsty means? How many, okay, if you don't, just ask your grandkids. They'll, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. It, it, it doesn't mean what it used to. It doesn't mean what it meant when I was growing up. Because I said that one time. that we were. I was like, y'all, man, I am so thirsty. Everybody's like, ah! I was like, why are we laughing right now? And they told me what it meant, and I went, oh. She was thirsty. Potiphar was married to Potiphar. <laughs> and the Bible says Joseph was, was handsome, and he would look good. She was attracted to him. And, and listen, let me ask you a question. Was this a temptation for Joseph? No, don't answer, don't answer, don't answer, because we're in church, and we're supposed to say church answers. No, it was not a temptation to Joseph, for Joseph. He was a man of God. Okay, let's talk for a minute. Guys, men, here's, my, here's the typical question. How do you know if a man is in the mood? He's breathing. That, exactly, exactly, exactly. Don't look at me like that. So, so men, men, if, if we could say we're that motivated, do you remember what it was like when you were 17? I mean, now we can kind of keep it under control. But when we were 17, we were like, <laughs> don't try that at home. I'm a professional. So was this a temptation for Joseph, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. She comes on to him, and she's like, you know, let's, like Tolo, the famous theologian said, let's do it. And, and, and Joseph, Joseph, Joseph refused. What? You did what? He refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do, and he has held back nothing from me except you. In other words, he's not saying, I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. That's not what he said. This is what he said. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Whoa. Okay, hold on, Joseph. You still holding on to God? 
you had those dreams and you got beat up by your brothers, you got abandoned by your brothers, you got lied about by your brothers, you got sold into slavery, now you're a slave in Potiphar's house and you're still holding on to God. How, how did Joseph do that? How did he hold on to God with all that crap going on in his life? I mean, if, if you're writing a book called My Life Sucks, Joseph is on the cover. How, and he didn't have what we have. He didn't have the Version Bible app on his phone. He didn't have the Jesus Calling devotional. He didn't have any cool Christian sayings. He didn't even have a church. So how do you hold on to God? This is what I think. I don't think he held on to God. I think God held on to him. See, when we make it through a tough time and a tough season, if you've ever made it through a storm, you know in your heart it wasn't because you held on to Jesus. It's because Jesus held on to you. That's why they call it amazing grace. Because if we could make it in our own strength, we wouldn't need it. But I don't think Joseph held, I, I don't think Joseph held on to God. I think God held on to Joseph. And I think God's holding on to someone here today. And I think he wants you to know that he's with you. He has never left you. And he will never forsake you. Well, Joseph turns Potiphar down and, and she tells Potiphar a lie. She lies on him. Now, Joseph's been lied about before. He's been lied to um, he's been lied about to his father. Now he's lied about again. But he did the right thing, so nothing bad will happen to him, right? Because if you do the right thing, then good things will always happen, right? Wrong. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her because she made up the story about how he tried to take advantage of her. So, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. This, this sucks. You, okay, okay, okay. You got sold in slavery, but then you got pulled out of the pit, or, and you, you sold in slavery, and you're part of his house, and you start working, and you start doing the best you can. You rise up there. I mean, you're a slave, but you're a good slave, and you're getting access, and all these great things are happening. You do the right thing, and then you get thrown into prison? Come on, God. But let me ask you a question. How much about Egyptian and worldwide politics did Joseph know when he arrived in Egypt when he was 17 years old? Let me help you. Zero. So, because they had no colleges and no universities in this time period, where would have been one of the best places for Joseph to learn about Egyptian politics, both the good and the bad. Oh, I don't know. Could, could it have been the, where the king's prisoners were held? Because the king's prisoners were political prisoners. So when Joseph was sent to prison, it wasn't a put down. It was a promotion. In Potiphar's house, he got his bachelor's degree. Now he's getting his master's in politics because God is preparing him for the palace. So maybe the situation that you're in right now isn't punishment at all. It's preparation. And here's how we know that God could trust him in the palace. Because he stewarded the prison well. 
If we can't steward the prison, why in the world would God trust us in the palace? Watch what happens. This is crazy. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Stop. Really? Because <laughs> the Sunday school answer is, if the Lord's with you, you're not even in prison. But you know, sometimes God puts us in prison so we can learn to receive the promotion with humility. Oh, dang, that was good. I didn't even say that in the first two services. Y'all are getting the services where my ADD medicine's wearing off. I'll... I'll, I'll which sometimes it can be good, and sometimes you're like, oh, God, take a pill. <laughs> the Lord's with him in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, which sounds awesome, except I don't want to be the prison warden's favorite person. I don't even want to know one. Okay? But Joseph, he's like, well, I'm in prison. I might as well be a good prisoner. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused, him to, caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord was with him. In the pit, in Potiphar's house, and in prison, the Lord was with him. And it wasn't Joseph hanging on to God. It was God hanging on to him. Well, Joseph, because he was a good steward, and by the way, if we, we, we can't say, you know what, God, my life situation's crappy right now, but when it gets better, I'll be better. No, no, no. If God can't trust us with what we got now, why in the world would he trust us with what we got next? I mean, th this, is, this is one of those things where God's plans and ways are higher, so let's just be faithful with where we are right now, even if it's a sucky situation. And I know about those. I've, I've been in the middle of those. So sometime later, Pharaoh's cheap cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer, we don't really have that job title, you know, in many places anymore, but the cupbearer um, would taste the wine before Pharaoh drank it, and if it didn't kill him, it meant it wasn't poisonous, so Pharaoh got to drink it, which that's not a bad gig. Unless somebody tries to kill Pharaoh, then you're going to get killed. But if nobody gets, you're, you just sip wine all day, that's your full-time job, which, whew. <laughs> I mean, just the benefits for some, some people can handle that, let's just say that. So the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and the baker baked stuff, offended their royal master. So the baker probably tried to go gluten-free and Pharaoh got ticked off, which, let me pause. For those of you that have to be gluten-free, I apologize. I'll eat all your gluten and be so happy about it, all right? <laughs> Somebody approached me after one of the services and you know, said, you know what gluten does to me? I'm like, I don't want to know what gluten does to you. Dear God, sir. Um, Pharaoh became angry with these two, two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard, the, trying to get... Hey, Joseph was in the right place. Joseph went in the right place. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Which, by the way, let me just kind of say this and move on. You've never met anybody accidentally. God always has a purpose for the people he brings across our path. And so, let's, let's just keep going with this, because it's good. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Baker each had a dream one night. Let me pause. Joseph knows a little something about dreams, doesn't he? And God speaks through dreams. 
God spoke through dreams back then, and I believe with all my heart God speaks through dreams today. Now, let me qualify this. Every dream is not God speaking to you. It's not because I dreamed about a pizza last night. What does that mean? It means you're hungry. That, that's what it means. Go eat a pizza. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that was God telling you to buy a pizza franchise. I just, I, I have no idea. My very first dream I ever remember, Mr. Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street was coming down the street to eat me. That's what I, I don't know what that means. I, st- I need a hyper-charismatic to explain it to me, but until I find one, it means nothing, okay? But sometimes dreams mean something. This one had a meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked him. So here's Joseph in a really crappy situation, but still concerned for other people. Let me just say this. Just because you're in a bad situation doesn't justify us being in a bad mood and being bad to people. I'll just leave that alone. We'll just keep moving. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one could tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Hold on. Joseph is still hanging on to God? Mm-mm. God's still hanging on to him. Because in all that he's gone through, he still circles back around to, you know what, I see you guys are going through a tough time, but God can handle it. Now, that's easy to say if you are the prison warden, but when you're in the prison, we see God's grace and God's mercy because God is still hanging on to Joseph. Now, the cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and, and Joseph said, oh, man, it's good news. You're going to get your job back. He said, in three days, you're going to get your job back. And he said, by the way, when you get your job back, tell Pharaoh about me because I got put here, and I should have been put here, and it's a bad situation. So you just tell and, and, and the cupbearer did the same thing that we did when we graduated high school. I'll never forget you, man. I love you. Come here. Now we're like, what's their name? Who? They want to know. I don't, I don't accept their friend request. I don't even know who they were. Um, but, but the chief cupbearer said, I promise you. I will never forget you, man. I love you. Got me. Yes, we are going to be best buds. And the baker was like, "Well, I had a dream too." And he tells Joseph, and Joseph went, "Oh snap! Uh, yeah, you're going to die." That was it. Three days, you're going to die. And in three days, that's what happened. The cupbearer got his job back. The baker died, and the author of Genesis tells us in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Can can you see Joseph in prison? He's like, all right, the cupbearer's going to tell Pharaoh my story. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out today. I'm going to get out today. All right. Didn't happen. Oh, didn't happen today. It'll happen. You know what? It'll happen tomorrow. It'll happen tomorrow. And it, and it didn't happen for two years. For two years. So by this time, Joseph is 30. In 13 years, he's been beaten up, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and forgotten about. But something funny happened. In God's time, Scripture tells us, In Genesis 
41, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed he was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and he had a dream. In fact, he had a couple dreams that bothered him so bad that he called in all his magicians and his advisors, and none of them could tell him what the dreams meant. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer was like, oh, um, listen, about two years ago, remember we had that thing? Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not mad about it. It's okay. I um, hope you're still not mad about it. Anyway, I met a guy that, that told me about some dreams. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Now, after 13 years of hell, you would figure that Joseph was just done with this whole God thing. But Pharaoh told Joseph, said, hey, I hear you can tell me what my dreams mean. And this was Joseph's reply. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph, it wasn't Joseph hanging on to God. It was God hanging on to Joseph. And because he was willing to lean in, because because he knew God had his hand on him. See, God having his hand on us, God being with us doesn't mean we won't go through tough times. God being with us means we can go through tough times. And through this whole thing, through this whole thing, it wasn't Joseph holding on to God. It was God holding on to him. So if you're here today, you feel like you're in the middle of a storm or a season that just seems to be wearing you out. You know what? Maybe you've given up. Maybe you just like forget it. I, I can't do it. That's okay. Even if you gave up on Jesus, he didn't give up on you. His presence is right here with you today and he's closer to you than you've ever been. You know how I know? Four years ago, tomorrow, marks the anniversary of the day I checked into rehab. Hands down, the worst, the worst season of my life. And not just for the next 30 days, but for the next several months. It wasn't me holding on to Jesus. It was Jesus holding on to me. And if he did it for Joseph, and he did it for me, he'll do it for you. In fact, he's doing it. For those of you, for those of you, for those of you that think, no, 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 you don't understand. God's given up on me. Really? Then how do you explain you being in this place hearing this message today. I hope you know he's never given up on you. He has never given up on you. Can we stand and pray? Father, I want to thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you're greater 
and you're stronger than anything that we're facing today. And Father, may we just pause for a moment to stand in your presence and know, God, that you, you are as real as anything in our lives. You are more powerful than anything in our lives. And for those that feel like they've just given up or wanted to give up, God, may we stand under the waterfall of your mercy with a thankful heart, just knowing that your mercy is falling, your presence is with us, you haven't given up on us. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercy is falling. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercy is falling. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercy is falling in this place.